0: Right. Well, please turn with me in God's word to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22. We are continuing our series here from the life of Father Abraham. And while you're turning there, you can ask yourself, how good of an artist are you? Now, I confess I'm not known for winning any art contests. as a matter of fact, If you've ever seen me, my skill level is about drawing stick figures, which my children then make fun of. But however good you may be, God is the greatest artist of all. What we find then is through history, God is a divine director who then reveals Christ through the various events that take place over the years, in the decades, in the centuries. This is what we see throughout the Scriptures. Because in God's Word, He reveals Christ to us. And here in this chapter of Scripture, God shows us the clearest picture of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. So let us see Jesus here from Genesis 22 this morning. Let's read then together, uh, beginning with verse 9. And remember here, God has called Abraham to test him in sacrificing his son. That's why we come then in verse 9. That they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buzz his brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Bildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Gaham, Thahash, and Maacah. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us again go before our Lord in prayer. Father, we are gathered here this morning because of Christ. We have already sung his praises. We have already come before your throne in the heavens in prayer. Because Jesus Christ is our mediator. And now we come to hear from you afresh. Of the glory and grace. Of Jesus Christ. May we indeed see your grace clearly. As Christ is portrayed through. Abraham's sacrifice this morning and may you be at work then among us Lord to help us to not only hear these truths but to see Christ in them to look to Christ to receive his salvation and to rejoice in his work for us Lord may the gospel not only be heard Father, may we receive this gospel message and hold it precious in our lives. So we pray that this word will powerfully be preached among us. Not so that we can be thankful for the preacher, but so that we can be in awe of our Savior. So, Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, how does Abraham's sacrifice reveal Christ to us? Well, let's take a closer look at this famous story to receive our answer. Because here we have unfolding this divine drama, and it's unfolding for us in this chapter through three scenes. First, there is God's test. Second, there is God's provision. And third, there is God's blessings. So the three scenes are God's test, God's provision, and God's blessing. We return then to God's test here in verses 9 and 10, and since humanity has been living in rebellion against God through our sin, we see God has called out this man, Abraham, from the nations so that the nations will be blessed through him. And it's because God promises us salvation from his judgment that he enters then into covenant with Abraham. And through his covenant, he promises to bless Abraham with descendants who will become a special nation and that the promised land will then be given to them as their own, as an inheritance. And it's then in response to this sovereign calling on Abraham that he then lives by faith in these promises from God. And he trusts that God will keep his word and God will fulfill his covenant. But after many years of he and his wife Sarah living without any children and not able to have children, God miraculously gives them a son, Isaac, through whom God will fulfill his promises. And now as we come to chapter 22, their son Isaac is a teenager. And God tests Abraham's faith to see if it is genuine. He tests Abraham to see if he really loves God above all. Because it's when times are hard. It's when things are difficult. It's when we are challenged that we learn who we really are. Which is why God tests us to expose what is true and lasting from what is merely convenient to us in our lives. So God, in giving this test, commands Abraham to offer his only chosen son as a burnt offering to God himself. Now, last time... In this series, we struggled through the morality of God asking Abraham to kill his son. But his test here reminds us that God is sovereign, not only of the beginning of our lives, but also of the ending of our lives and of every day in between. So here in this test, Abraham has to choose between God and God's good gift. And a genuine faith wants God above all. A genuine faith is willing to give up any blessings that God gives to us simply because our desire is to be with our great and gracious God. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that Abraham's faith was genuine. That's why we go on to read in Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19. We read them before, but let's remind ourselves of them again this morning. These verses say, "...by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac." And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham's faith led him to know that even if he sacrificed his only son, his son would live again because God will keep his promises. And so this brings us then to the pivotal verses here in this chapter, verses 9 and 10, where the story once again enters into slow motion. We've already seen this earlier in the chapter because Moses writes this way for us to carefully consider what is about to take place. This is like a movie that slows down in the middle of the action for us to see more closely what is happening. And so here he takes us through Abraham's sacrifice step by step. So we will see Abraham's faith in action. And through the description of these verses where he puts together this altar, we can see and wrestle over what is coming. He builds it. Then he places the wood on it. Then he bounds his son and lays him on the altar. But don't miss the love that is found here. Not only from a father to his son, but also from the son to the father. Back earlier in the chapter, verses 6 and 8, twice we read, the two of them went together. So as these verses unfold, We have Abraham who is over 100 years old and his son is a teenager. And while they lived longer over this time, this son could easily overpower his father or at least resist his father. But that's not what we find here, is it? His son willingly submits to Abraham as he binds him and lays him on the altar. And as he is laid upon the wood, the son likely recognizes that he is the sacrifice. Yet he still remains submissive to allow what the father was about to do. He allows it to take place. That's why when these verses end, we can picture Abraham as he stretches out his hand and takes up the knife. To slay His Son. What a test. What a test. You know, as I think about this test, I hope I would have the faith of Abraham. But the truth is, we're all tested by God in this world. You see, when our faith is tested... This forces us to wrestle over the question, what matters most to you? What matters most to you? If your heart loves anything more than God himself, or if you are not satisfied with God alone, then your true love will be revealed. And often it is revealed through God testing you. So what is your true love? What is your true love? Is your true love God Himself? Because this is the love. The only love that will last in this world. This is the love we have by faith, trusting in God. And this, was the love that Abraham had for God, willing to give up his only son to obey God. So we move in this divine drama from the first scene of God's test to the second scene in verses 11 to 14, where we come to God's provision. God's provision. At this point, you have Abraham with his knife held ready to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord calls from heaven. Remember, the angel of the Lord is God himself. So God's own voice comes down to Abraham, repeating his name in urgency. Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds that he's listening. So God says, stop. Stop. Don't do anything to harm your son. Because Abraham has passed God's test. He feared God. He fears God in faith. Now, this, this fear does not mean he was frightened or scared of God, but that he rightly recognized his relationship to God as his sovereign Lord. And so he responds with reverence and awe. See, a genuine faith means fearing God this way, which includes submitting to God's word and obeying whatever he asks. So he has not withheld his promised son from God. So why God then says to him, Now I know that you fear me. Now, this is not because God was ignorant of what Abraham would do, that God didn't know what he would do. God is omniscient, God's all-knowing. But God recognizes Abraham's faith is true and has now been proven in history. Because he has not withheld his only son from God. Which is why Abraham then looks, and what does he see? Behind him there is a ram that is caught in its horns in a thicket of thorns. Do you remember what Abraham told his son back in verse eight? Look back there. Verse eight. And Abraham said, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And that's exactly what God did. God himself did. Provide the lamb. For a burnt offering. This lamb then will substitute for his son and take his place. Now, children, listen to me. If there is one word I want you to remember this morning from everything I'm saying, it's this word. Substitution. Substitution. Substitute is a essential word, a critical word for you to know. But what does it mean? Well, in sports, if somebody is injured and can no longer play, they're sidelined, what happens? A substitute player comes out from the bench to play the position in the place of the injured sports star or sports player. Or in school, if a teacher becomes sick and can no longer come to class to teach, what happens? We don't get the day off from school. But a substitute teacher comes in to take the place of your usual teacher so that you can continue in your studies as the substitute teacher teaches. You see, the substitute takes the place of someone else and carries out what the other would do. And here, because a lamb is provided instead of Abraham's son, Isaac. We find here that Isaac will live. Isaac will live to become the nation of Israel. And God's chosen people will come to inherit the promised land. Notice the words in this verse. Here we go on to see In verse at the end of verse 13. That Abraham offered this lamb up, he offered it up for a burnt offering. Notice instead of his son, instead of his son, this is the language of substitution. The lamb takes the place. Of the son. You see, we will all die in our sins. And we all deserve to die in our sin. Our only hope then when facing death is a substitute who takes our place and dies for us. And that's exactly what God provides through Isaac. So Abraham gives this place a name. Some of you may already know it. It's Jehovah Jireh. This means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide because here on Mount Moriah, the Lord provided the sacrificial lamb for his people to live. So his promises will be fulfilled. And listen, it was on this same mountain that Abraham's descendants came to worship God at the temple. And they continued offering substitutes as burnt offerings to be forgiven of their sins. It's what we read in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. Listen to these words. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place where David had prepared on the threshing floor of Orn and the Jebusite. It is on this mountain where God provided the Lamb Because the Lord will provide on this mountain a substitute. So, brothers and sisters, we cannot solve the problem of sin and death ourselves. Which is why we are completely dependent on God to provide us with a substitute. And this mountain proves to us the Lord will provide. Because God has promised us salvation from judgment, from His judgment and death. And He will provide us with a substitute. Well, this brings us to the final scene in this drama. We began with God's test, we continued with. God's provision. But finally, in verses 15 to 24, we come to God's blessings because the story doesn't end here. The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he says to Abraham that because of your faithfulness, your covenant blessings will continue. And don't miss that God here swears an oath. This is the only time God takes an oath upon himself in all of the book of Genesis. God places himself under oath. Like a courtroom, when you raise your hand and are asked, "Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God?" But of course, God can't swear by anything greater than himself which is why he brings an oath upon himself to announce his promises are certain. This is why we read in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 to 18 how in the midst of our own struggles and suffering the God's promises are sure. And this is seen through the oath that God makes to Abraham. Listen to Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 18. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men, indeed, swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel or the impossibility of his counsel to change. That he confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before. This is the consolation, the the confidence and comfort we have in God's promise, which he swore under oath to Abraham and his people. So we find here that God reaffirms both of his covenant promises to Abraham, right? The two promises we've seen going all the way back, you have first... God says to him, you will have as many descendants as the stars of the heaven and now as sand, which is on the seashore. And the second promise is reaffirmed that in your, uh, sorry, that your descendants will possess this land. And now it's added, including the gate of their enemies. Do you see then? God saying to Abraham, in your seed, the nations will be blessed. Because God says, my promise of salvation to the nations will come through you and your offspring, Abraham. Now, if you've played close attention, this is actually the 25th time God has spoken with Abraham. And it will also be the last time God speaks with Abraham. But God will keep his promises to Abraham. And Abraham trusts in God and believes in Him and His promises that will come. Which is why Abraham and his son then come down from the mountain as they return to the young men who were left behind and go back to Beersheba where they had been dwelling. Now this chapter ends by God later saying to Abraham through, again, these things, that his brother Nahor also has children through his wife Milcah. Now, why do we have this list of names recorded to us here at the end of chapter 22? If you go back to Genesis 11, when we read of Abraham's family, we see in verse 29 then Abram, who was Abraham at the time, then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, or Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Now what do we see? The Nahor has 12 sons. Eight with his wife, Milcah, and now four more with his concubine, Ruma, And together, they become 12 sons, who will be the 12 tribes of the Arameans, which are similar to the 12 sons of Abraham's other son, who was cast out, Ishmael. And of course, the 12 sons that Isaac will have, or that the Isaac son Jacob will have who then become his chosen people, Israel. So the end of chapter 21 is preparing us for God's work in Isaac's life. When Abraham helps Isaac find a wife from his family, guess where the wife of his promised son comes from? We go on to read in Genesis 24, verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Do you see then how God is sovereignly at work all the way back in Abraham's home country of Mesopotamia to provide a wife? For Abraham's promised and now delivered son, Isaac, who's now dwelling hundreds of miles away in Beersheba. Because God is providentially at work through all the worlds to carry out his promises. Well, have you seen Christ through Abraham's sacrifice this morning? Have you seen Christ through Abraham's sacrifice this morning? Has God's artwork become alive before your eyes? Because it did for Abraham. You know, when the Jews came to Jesus in John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus said to the Jews in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see Christ? When did Abraham rejoice to see Christ's day? Here on Mount Moriah. Listen to the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon. He says, when did Abraham see Christ? He may have seen him at other times, but on the top of Moriah, when his own son was on the wood and his own hand was lifted up, he must have seen the son of God and the uplifted hand of God offering the great sacrifice. When he took the ram from the thicket and so saved the life of his son, how clearly he must have understood that blessed doctrine of substitution, which is the very center of the gospel. See, Abraham's sacrifice is a type that reveals to us a greater sacrifice to come. His sacrifice is a shadow that shows us a glimpse of the future sacrifice in Christ. Which is why this type and this shadow continues to be built upon throughout the Old Testament. Remember, Israel's very existence depended on having The sacrifice of a lamb instead of their patriarch Isaac. But let us continue to look at the Old Testament. Let's turn together to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12. Here, Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and their firstborn sons are saved. How? By the blood of a lamb. So read together Exodus 12, verses 5 to 7. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep uh, or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now let's go down to verses 12 and 13. God says to them, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land in Egypt. What delivers God's people from slavery in Egypt? The blood of the Lamb, who serves as a sacrifice for God to pass over them in judgment. Or let's turn ahead to Numbers chapter 28. Because here, once God's people enter the promised land, we find Israel continuing to offer lambs as burnt offerings for their sins to be forgiven. And they are given on this mountain so they should live. Again, let's look at the first four verses here. Numbers 28. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings made by fire is a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, a burnt offering, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish day by day as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. So what do God's people Israel continue to do in the promised land? But offer up lambs as substitutes on the same mountain. So they too will have life rather than live under God's death and judgment. This brings us all the way ahead. Let's turn to one more passage here in this quick survey through Scripture and turn to John 1. Because here, when Jesus finally comes into the world, don't miss what Israel hears from John the Baptist. Here, John the Baptist has come. And what does he say when he sees Jesus? John 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, how does Abraham's sacrifice reveal Christ to us? That God offers his own son, his only son, as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. God offers his son as a substitutionary sacrifice for us to have life. Listen, God sends his son into the world. Where he, too, carried up wood up the same mountain. Now Mount Calvary. To serve as our sacrifice for sin. And like Isaac, Jesus willingly submitted to his father by being bound to the wood of the cross as a sacrifice. The cross then shows us the intertrinitarian love between God the Father and God the Son. But then, like the ram with its horns caught in a thicket, so Christ's head wore a crown of thorns as His blood was poured out as an offering for us. Do you see how Christ is God's promised son and lamb who substitutes himself for us so that we will have life in him? See, on Mount Moriah, Abraham was willing to offer his only son as a sacrifice for sin. But God provided him with a substitute. But on Mount Calvary, God was willing to offer his only son as a sacrifice for sins, but His Son was the substitute for us. So as we think through the glories of what we have seen, how much more precious that great verse from John 3.16, which summarizes the Gospel so well, has the meaning That God has revealed to us through the life of Abraham. Listen to John 3.16 in the life of what we've seen from the life of Abraham. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God revealed this to Abraham. And Abraham believed in Christ, received eternal life. Believe in Christ as your substitutionary sacrifice and be saved. Believe in Christ as your substitutionary sacrifice and be saved. Turn away from your sins and repentance, turn to Christ in faith. Because Christ, out of God's love for us, Christ joins in His love to submit himself to being our substitutionary sacrifice as He bled. And died under God's judgment for us on the cross. So look to the cross where God's Son and our Lamb was sacrificed. In Christ, we are saved from perishing, to have eternal life, to then enjoy in God's presence. No matter what happens in this world. And not only is this good and glorious news. For those of us. Who do believe in Christ, who do have faith in Christ, but brothers and sisters, may this be a reassurance to us as we live. In this world of how great the father's love is for us. Let's turn to one last passage of scripture. Romans chapter 8 again. We have this glorious gospel and the promise of salvation revealed through Jesus Christ. What then is our hope in life and death? As we sang this morning, And as we hear from the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, let's read together Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this love is given to us not because of who we are, not because of anything we have done, but because Christ is our substitutionary sacrifice. May our hope in life and death be in Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, Oh, Father, may we see the beauty and glory of Christ and his substitutionary sacrifice this morning. What a treasure your word is, even all those thousands of years ago. To show the grace of your substitutionary sacrifice in Jesus Christ. May we share the faith of Abraham as we look to Christ and as we rejoice because of the day of Christ where He was sacrificed as our substitute instead of us so that we too will have eternal life. To enjoy your presence. Father, may we live the rest of our days with this consolation, with this confidence, with this comfort that Jesus is our Savior and eternal life is our future to enjoy with you. Father, we pray all of these things. In the name of our glorious Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.